Hi, I'm Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Rheumatology, and I hope everyone is doing well and staying healthy during the pandemic. Today, I'm pleased to be speaking to Dr. Catherine Bakewell from the Intermountain Healthcare Group, Salt Lake City, Dr. Sybil Iden from the University of Ottawa, Dr. Vina Ragnathan from the David Geffen School of Medicine, UCLA, California, Dr. Lehigh Etter, Women's College Hospital, University of Toronto, and Dr. Gurjit Kaley from the University of Florida. The, the people, these are the authors of a review article entitled Imaging Techniques, Options for the Diagnosis and Monitoring of Treatment of Enthesitis in Psoriatic Arthritis which is now available as an open access article on the Journal of Rheumatology's website at jroom.org. I want to thank you all for coming and to thank you for writing the review article and for agreeing to join me in discussing it. So I have a few questions to ask you. So I'll start. So my first thought was, who thought of writing this and why now? Good morning. So I'll do my best to answer that. To As far as whose idea it was, it was definitely not one person's idea. This was absolutely a group effort. But if you were to ask the question, why this topic and, and why now, there are several points to consider. The first is that enthesitis is incredibly prevalent for patients with psoriatic arthritis. So it is estimated that up to 60 to 80% of patients with psoriatic arthritis will experience enthesitis at some point in their disease course. Traditionally, this was always assessed by clinical exam as well as conventional radiography. But with the emergence of advanced imaging techniques such as ultrasound, MRI, CT, as well as some molecular imaging techniques, we really have a much broader armamentarium for the earlier detection and also monitoring of treatment response uh, for this condition. Further, second, enthesitis has been proposed as the seminal lesion in psoriatic arthritis, and this concept goes back as far as 1999, uh, when Dennis McGonigal at Leeds put forward this idea that this was really the underlying or the seminal lesion, again, that, that pushes the rest of the disease forward or, or starts uh, the cascade of events off. And this has been further supported by subsequent research from individuals such as Georg Schett out of Berlin and others. And in this, imaging really does play a key role in understanding the sequence of events and inflammation uh, at the level of the joint capsule or the um, other entheses. Third, our technology has advanced incredibly over the last several years. And I can tell you that with this, our imaging techniques not only have better resolution, we're getting better images, we're able to see things that we just couldn't before. And I'll give you a personal example for me in fellowship, learning musculoskeletal ultrasound specifically about 10, 11 years ago, the machine that I was working with um, 
left a lot to be desired. So we'll liken it perhaps to a standard definition TV, uh, whereas now, you know, a lot of us have the high definition or even 4K TVs in our home. That's what you might find in an everyday, you know, rheumatology practice as far as level of machines. So there's been a big difference in the quality of images that we're able to get and what we're able to appreciate um, at the level of the anthesis. And last, I just want to say this is a really exciting time for research in this field. There is ongoing work by groups such as GRAPA and OMERACT uh, to develop scoring systems, both for the diagnosis as well as the monitoring of response to treatment of enthesitis. And so this is something where we're going to be, we've already got wonderful research that has been done, and there's going to be more done to, to validate these scoring systems for these diseases and these uses. So I, it was a real honor to get to work with my co-authors on this paper, and, and thank you, Dr. Silverman, so much for for talking with us this morning. Anyone want to add to that? Yeah, it was overwhelming to me, so <laughs> good. So along the same lines, um, and sort of was hinted at by Dr. Bakewell, why is it so important to diagnose, why is it important to diagnose enthesitis and psoriatic arthritis and corollary? Do you think everybody has enthesitis in psoriatic arthritis, which may be subclinical, especially as Dr. Bakewell was saying, that it may be the, the seminal lesion. It may be the defining lesion of psoriatic arthritis. Um, and then as a side, just a little thing that I can't help, we certainly are, don't appreciate that in, in JIA in psoriatic arthritis seen, seen in JIA. And maybe that's our ignorance. Or maybe it's a different disease, but we won't. We don't need to address that. Just the first question of the importance. Anyone want to address that? Yes, thank you, Earl, for the question. Um, so the the importance of diagnosing enthesitis in PS in patients with PSA uh, is related to several key reasons. So first, as Catherine mentioned, enthesitis is a key part of physiological lesion in patients with PSA and maybe the initial manifestation of the disease. As you mentioned, um, many of the patients uh, have enthesitis um, even before the development of peripheral arthritis, and it can be quite challenging to diagnose um, only based on physical examination. So if a patient with psoriasis presents with only enthesitis without peripheral uh, synovitis, it can be quite challenging to diagnose, and this diagnosis may be missed and delayed because of that. So that's one of the key reasons why we, we need to, to diagnose it early. Um, secondly, uh, it's also important to diagnose enthesitis in patients with established an established diagnosis of PSA, because there are some studies that show that enthesitis is a marker of severity in patients with established PSA. It's associated with reduced quality of life. So you can imagine if you have enthesitis in a weight-bearing joint, such as in the Achilles tendon, it can have a significant impact on the quality of life. And there is also some data that suggests that having enthesitis is associated with development of radiographic joint damage. So identifying it and treating it early is, a, is really a key factor in achieving a, a a minimal disease activity or remission in patients with PSA. And finally, um, there is some data to suggest that there are 
um, differential response in terms of um, antithesitis with respect to different treatments. So identifying antithesitis in patients with PSA can guide treatment selection. Uh, we know that uh, non-biologic DMARDs may work less well, uh, or there is no data to suggest that they work at all in patients with uh, antithesitis, unlike perhaps peripheral arthritis. And there is also some preliminary data from um, uh, clinical trials that suggest that perhaps some of the classes of newer biologic agents may work differently for antithesitis compared to peripheral arthritis. So we certainly need more studies and more data, but um, these are the reasons why, why it's important to diagnose um, antithesitis in patients with PSA. Any other comments before we move on? Okay. So in the article, you review the different imaging techniques for assessing enthesitis. Would you briefly outline the advantages and disadvantages of ultrasound versus MRI? And of course, we'll ignore plain radiographs because we know the insensitivity of that. Um, somebody want to address the issue, because really that's what it comes down to beyond the convenience. Obviously, very few people have a point of care MRI machine. So. Uh, thank you, Dr. Silverman, for this question. Uh, I, I would say, you know, ultrasound is fun. Our patients uh, look forward to it. But uh, kidding aside, um, I, I think the first, uh, I want to make three points. I think the first is when you do an MRI, generally what's uh, available now is a single site MRI, for example, doing an ankle. So you can look at the ankle very fine detail, but you're just limited to that site. I do um, uh, allow that there are some new protocols, whole, whole body MRI protocols being established. And this is sort of boring from the oncology field where they've done looking at bones predominantly to look for metastasis, the same protocol has been ported over to look for anthesitis. But this is really good for more um, uh, large anthesis around the trunk. It's not really great for limbs. So I would say that's really not prime time. So the ultrasound um, is really great to go to the anthesis that you're interested in. And Predominantly, they tend to be lower uh, lower body, uh, and then uh, you know through the work with Grappa, we now know that we have to do have to include some upper body antheses too. So you can go to several antheses uh, in the same sitting very quickly, uh, and it's very patient friendly. And most of the time, when the rheumatologist is doing the scan, the, we're talking to the patient, and it's really a great patient physician interaction, and they, the, our patients really appreciate that we are telling them what we're seeing and making sense of it as we go along. So I think, first of all, that's uh, the, the greatest. And then just digging into some technical advantages, disadvantages, ultrasound actually gives you much more detail of the uh, in thesis and the ultrastructure itself. So we can see the, the fibrous tendon, um, much, much better detail uh, than MRI. The advantage MRI has is that it picks up edema or fluid very easily, and that's why it tends to be sensitive, but its level of resolution is not that great. Uh, and this is also one of the Achilles heel of ultrasound is that we can't see beneath bone. So uh, MRI can see beneath bone and it can uh, inform us of bone marrow edema, whereas ultrasound cannot. So usually if you're doing ultrasound, we usually marry that with a plain x-ray. And between these two things, we are able to get, um, you, you know, not miss big lesions underneath the bone, but we cannot see 
bone marrow edema. Uh, I think the other issue is that we can see vascularity without very easily without using any contrast material. So uh, Doppler techniques are uh, applied very easily, and we can see Doppler not only in the tendon, but in thesis itself. Uh, and as well as the associated structures around the enthesis, such as bursitis. Um, in MRI, um, there's a debate whether you'll be convinced that uh, picking up edema constitutes inflammation. It may not. It may just be, uh, for, ex for example, bone marrow edema may just be reactive because you've been out jogging and you came back and did an MRI. So that really more uh, depends on uh, giving IV gadolinium to prove that you have increased vascularity there. So I think that's also that uh, advantage. So I think um, we're, I would say MRI looks at great level of detail, but in in a limited area, whereas ultrasound is uh, can go to many places, can look at the superficial structures in great detail. And lucky for us, most of the antheses we're interested in are superficial, close to the skin, uh, and we are able to get great images. We're able to look at components which are inflammatory. So beyond Doppler, we can also look at uh, structural changes that are potentially reversible, like hypercogenicity, thickening. And we can also look at things that are um, damaged as we regard them, like calcification, small enthesophytes. And these uh, structures, you can see in MRI, but not as well. So I think, uh, again, ultrasound gives you a much more detailed view of these uh, nitty-gritty um, uh, problems that occur in antheses. Um, so I, I, I would contrast um, in, in that manner um, that uh, uh, to recap, we can go to many places, see better detail, but the Achilles heel is we cannot see bone marrow edema. Anything further? Yeah. So I have a question along those lines. The as you outlined, Dr. Kaylee, how long would the average uh, uh, ultrasound take, as you outlined it, approximately, in the hands of an experienced ultrasonographer who routinely does it? So, if we're just interested in thesis, the scan is actually pretty quick, 20 to 25 minutes. Um, I, I will tell you my personal experience. Uh, I get bogged down when I see pathology and I get very interested in talking and trying to correlate it with the patient. And I will tell you that's what slows me down. It's not that doing the scan is uh, it's slow. It's just you become so enthralled in what you're seeing. You're seeing actual pathophysiology and you're trying to make sense of it with the patient there and trying to correlate uh, whether this is what's bothering them and how important it is to them. So I, I think that's uh, that's what's, uh, for, for many of us who are really interested in this, what, that's what slows us down, but it's not the actual physically doing the ultrasound, it's pretty quick. Okay, very good. So long. And actually, long Dr. Silverman, oh, I'm so sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to add one thing, which is I, I think too, I completely agree with Dr. Kaylee that 20, 25 minutes to do an in-depth exam, but I think many of us often also have an ultrasound on just in the exam room as we're seeing a patient. And I may spend a minute or two minutes just taking a quick look at a region sort of as an extension of the physical exam. And I think both, it's in that instance, you're not doing a full separate report and billing for it separately. You're just having a look and using it again as, as a stethoscope, if you would. So I think there's there's both are very appropriate uses of, of ultrasound and, and clinical practice. Again, forgive the interruption. No, that's great. That's very helpful. Any other comments? 
the people who, you know, speaking to the routine users. So, so I guess my real, as somebody, I guess, still a dinosaur when it comes to ultrasound, mainly because I guess I don't see Jay anymore in my practice and um, I'm old. So, and I'm used, I was taught the physical examination is so important and tells all. So from my practical point, I understand the pathophysiology and it's very important. I understand pathogenesis is very important and I'm not playing that down in the least. I'm just saying in the routine care, not in a study, but in routine care, how important would be the 20 minute, 25 minute study, not the quick study that Dr. Blake Bakewell was mentioning in routinely monitoring a patient in your practices. So I guess my question to wants to answer it is um, we now really believe in patient measured outcomes. So if we use that, how much do you believe in following your patients daily? This adds to it. How often do you believe, do you think it changes your therapy and alters their outcome. Thank you very much, Dr. Silverman. Uh, I'll be happy to answer that question. So I wouldn't say that all patients need to be routinely assessed with a point-of-care ultrasound for enthesitis in every visit. Although the emerging data on subclinical enthesitis is very interesting and has the potential to change our practice in the near future for prediction, even at the stage of psoriasis with no joint symptoms, we don't have enough evidence to say that all patients need standard screening with the ultrasound today. I believe as of today, the main advantage of point of care ultrasound is whenever the rheumatologist is planning to modify the treatment on the basis of enthesial symptoms or diagnose a patient with psoriatic arthritis, then ultrasound provided information would be very valuable to ensure that the pain is due to an inflammatory process and justifies increasing the immunosuppressive therapies and avoid unnecessary modifications or false diagnosis even. So the ultrasound adds an objective, visible angle to the physical assessment that is simply the detection of subjective pain. And the ultrasound certainly needs to be done before increasing or modifying the treatments as you need to have a baseline assessment to observe the change over time. Having said that, the ultimate aim is the patient's well-being and after modification or enhancement of the therapies, if the patients respond well clinically, I don't think there's a value to repeat the ultrasound just to observe the changes on imaging. So to summarize, I would suggest using the point of care ultrasound to understand if the pain on the enthesis is due to an inflammatory process and decide whether there needs to be a modification on immunosuppressive therapies and for monitoring only if the patients do not respond to those therapy changes. With the upcoming exciting data, we may have new indications for enthesial ultrasound in the near future for target to target prevention of psoriatic arthritis, so stay tuned but I see the value for today as I just explained. Thank you. Any further comments on this? Yeah, I just wanted to, want to amplify what Dr. Aiden has said. I, I think when their patients come in, um, they're not really asking about what, how their disease is doing. They're more worried about symptoms. 
And I think as clinicians, uh, I think that's where we would really like some additional tools to figure out, you know, is this actual uh, antecedent still present or is this uh, mechanical? And, and trying to differentiate between what's what's going on with the with the patient, so that you're appropriately uh, increasing increasing the therapy. And there's a similar corollary with in rheumatoid arthritis, when the C -di when you do the C di this patient physician discordance. Uh, I think for us at this point, um, that's the most valuable use of this technique. And I think going back to your treat to target question. Uh, the, the problem is we're still in the middle of trying to validate what the best set of antheses are. And uh, um, this is with any imaging technique. Uh, and the, the reason for that is because there's a huge biomechanical confounding uh, with, with these things. Uh, and even if you just look at the, the outcome measures available, the um, amongst the clinical outcome measures, only the LEI tends to perform with any, any degree uh, showing good effect size, um, whereas all the others are, are, are all over the place. So I think it's not, time is not right right now for a treat-to-target approach, uh, with, especially with imaging. And again, with anthocytis, even in the clinical world, it's still a, um, a little puzzling which is the best instrument to use. Um, we really don't know what the LEI is measuring because when you do ultrasound in these patients, uh, you don't really see anthocytis in the places that res respond. So to go back to your question about treat to target, I think we still have a lot of work to go to prove that we can use ultrasound for treat to target. But I think uh, in, the, in the clinic, I think uh, ultrasound has a very valuable role to play uh, to answer the questions that our patients present with. I have a quick question for you for maybe some people in the audience. What does LEI stand for? Uh, that's the LEADS uh, Anthocytos Index. So uh, just to sta uh, stand back a little bit. So uh, anthocytos clinically is measured by palpation of anthesis, so uh, four kilograms per meter squared pressure. So your, your fingernail uh, goes just pale, that sort of pressure. Um, and so in, in, by history, we started out with the MANDER Index, if you remember, which was a whole number more than 60 sites we had to palpate and then in enclosing spondylitis world, we kind of whittled this down and our Canadian colleagues came up with the SPARC index, which was evidence-based uh, developed. And then similarly, the LEADS group uh, developed a LEADS anthocytis index, um, uh, which was solely designed for psoriatic arthritis. So in clinical studies, generally uh, things that are used uh, most commonly clinically are the LEADS anthocytis index, the SPARC index, and then something called the uh, Maastricht index, the MASSES. So, um, and the MASSES also is problematic because it's got a lot more axial sites than peripheral sites. Um, and th those tend not to really change much. And even if you add one or two peripheral sites like the plantar fascia, create a modified MASSES, it still doesn't perform as well. So I think it's um, there's a big need uh, for imaging to come up with uh, some sort of imaging outcome that can give you a, a much more um, uh, unbiased view of what's happening at the anthesis and to see what's responding when you're palpating, the only answer you're getting is pain. You have no idea, is there still inflammation? Is my damage arrested? Um, and are there any other associated structures like bursitis that are still active? So I think there's a huge need for imaging to answer those questions. And then I think with all these new biologic agents that we're getting, we're very, very interested. Are all the cytokine targeting behaving similarly 
at different targets in the in the uh, tissue and do they respond similarly in decreasing damage in the tissue in the long term so i think the egg seal spa world is uh, a little bit ahead of us in thinking those questions but i think in the uh, in when we look at peripheral anthocytosis these questions are also very interesting and i think we're very interested in applying imaging to ask those questions thank you okay, any further comments on this Yeah, so I think to conclude, I would just say that we are living in an era of precision medicine. We have an increasing number of targeted synthetic and biologic DMARDs available to us as clinicians, and we know that early intervention leads to better outcomes. And specifically for psoriatic arthritis, this really was highlighted in 2014 by the paper uh, Haroon et al. wrote showing that even a six-month delay in diagnosis was associated with roughly four times the number of erosions, twice the level of subsequent disability, and even though rare, 10 times the risk of the most severe form of psoriatic arthritis known as arthritis mutilans. And so when we're talking about a disease like psoriatic arthritis that is by definition seronegative, there's no rheumatoid factor CCP, ANA to clue us into the presence of the disease, and in fact, our inflammatory markers may or may not be elevated, even in active disease, it behooves us to look for things like imaging anthocytis that can serve as a biomarker, so a clue not only to the presence of disease, but can give us information about the activity of the disease. And you've just heard my colleague speak very eloquently at how there is a discordance. Imaging gives us objective inflammation. Clinically, it's you press and do you say, ouch, and we know full well that central sensitization, fibromyalgia, this is very confounding and something that we face often in our clinical practice. And so to have objective information, this is inflammation, this is not, this is looking more like a spondyloarthropathy, this is looking more like a neurogenic cause, that's very helpful for us as clinicians. And so I think as our imaging modalities have advanced, um, we really have this capacity not only to detect the disease earlier, but to phenotype the disease, how active is it, what domains are involved, and to target our therapies. And the hope there, of course, is that we're going to have better patient outcomes. So to summarize, this paper was meant to be an overview of the state of the art of all different uh, advanced imaging techniques for the detection and monitoring of enthesitis and also give us a glimpse into some future uh, research directions. And if we were to summarize, I think for us all in saying that I think the future is very bright for the use of these imaging modalities in our clinical management of psoriatic arthritis and enthesitis specifically. Any other further comments? No? So I want to thank you and say, I certainly learned a lot and I think Evolution has come. The dinosaur has joined the 21st century, and you, I believe that imaging is certainly very important in psoriatic arthritis, and there's such obvious advantages about ultrasound over other imaging modalities that um, I guess the good news is I don't have to learn it because I don't treat people with psoriatic, with adult with psoriatic arthritis. So I'm, but to those out there, I believe you'll think the same way I do after reading this excellent review article, highlighting exactly what Dr. Bakewell said. 
So I want to thank you all for taking the time and providing this excellent conversation, which was very empowering to me and enlightening. And I'm sure it will be to people who read your article, and I encourage everybody to read the article. So please read the review article. Again, it's entitled Imaging Techniques, Options for Diagnosis and Monitoring of Treatment of Enthesitis in Psoriatic Arthritis by Drs. Bakewell, Aiden, Rangathat, uh, Eder, and Kaylee, and it's available at www.jroom.org as an open access article. If anybody has any comments or questions, please message us at Twitter at jroom or email us at manuscripts at jroom.com. And I want to thank everybody for joining us. And I want to thank the authors for spending this time with us. And I just want everybody to please stay healthy and well in these times. And please observe your social distancing as dictated by your regional or national health authorities. So be well and take care. And thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.